I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Of course, as everyone has watched over the last 24 hours, things unfold inside Ukraine. It's 11.05 p.m. in Ukraine as we speak. And having watched uh, some of the horrors and some of the things that are taking place there, many are hoping, maybe hoping against hope, that the international community can really band together and respond in a way that will deter future aggression. Uh, But the question we really have to ask is, can that be done? Or is what we're watching unfold in Eastern Europe right now going to become the new normal? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. So it is time to think again as we've been watching all of this. We know the headlines. We know the major things that have happened, what action Russia has taken, the response from the United States and allies in terms of more sanctions. But we want to go beyond that, beyond the headline. Let's think again about where we are and, more importantly, what comes next. Uh, David Savile is the deputy director of the Alliance for Securing Democracy and a senior fellow at the German Marshall Fund. Previously, David was a Foreign Service Officer at the State Department, serving most recently as the Deputy Secretary of State's Policy Advisor for Europe, uh, Eurasia, and International Security Issues. And he joins us on the line now. David, thanks for joining us today. Great to be with you. Uh, So let's talk about this. Uh, Are we entering just a really weird phase in all of this? Is this the new normal? Give us a, a real lay of the land beyond the headlines. Yeah, it's it's really sad what's happening in Ukraine, and I'm afraid that this this may be the new normal. And here's why: President Putin has made pretty clear that Ukraine is core to Russia's perceived security and strategic interests, and he's willing to escalate up to using nuclear weapons to defend Russia's interests. There, he's banking on the West, and the United States, never escalating to that degree to defend Ukraine. And I think what we're seeing here is the manifestation of that, you know, call call my bluff strategy. I'm going to go in and take it and you're not going to do anything about it. So I'm afraid and this is it's it's sad to say it, it's very sort of real politique, but that's what we're witnessing here in Ukraine. Yeah, as as we watch and obviously uh, the sanctions have not deterred uh, Vladimir Putin, nor do I think any of the, the those that were announced today will deter him. They will obviously hurt over time and they will hurt the Russian people, of course, over time. Uh, But I I wanted you to dig in just a a little deeper on this whole idea of will America ever escalate uh, to a phase where Vladimir Putin will blink or will step back uh, a half step and at least reevaluate? Or is America just simply in a place uh, war weary and uh, not having a lot of trust uh, in the highest levels of government? Are are we just not going to get there? I think. In Ukraine, it's very unlikely we get there. And it's it's almost weird to say because, you know, we associate America with global leadership. And, of course, in a crisis like this, you'd think we would step in. But the adversary on the other side has 5,000 tactical nuclear weapons pointed at 
you know, Europe. Like that's a very real phenomenon. This isn't just, you know, let's, let's, you know, implement a military response and see what happens. Like that's a very real threat. Um, So I, I am, I'm skeptical that there's anything we could do other than to impose costs on Russia for its behavior, which we should do. And sanctions, of course, is, you know, a major tool to impose costs, but it's not a deterrent measure. And I think we need to stop thinking about sanctions as a deterrent measure. Yeah. And do we also have to stop thinking in terms of Vladimir Putin as a reasonable, rational actor? Uh, We know he's been isolated, uh, even isolated uh, from his own cabinet and and inner circle. I keep saying his inner circle is down to about one. Um, And is it that, uh, you know, in his speech to his uh, citizens, he pointed out the and reminded the rest of the world that they have nuclear weapons. And so is that part of this doubling down? Nobody's going to call this bluff uh, on Vladimir Putin. I think it is. And I think from that perspective, some would argue that he is a rational actor because he Mm -hmm. understands that the other side is not going to respond and not going to escalate. And so he has the ultimate trump card um, and he's put on the table that he's willing to use them. Now, maybe when push comes to shove, he wouldn't use them. But I I don't know if a lot of people in the White House or in European capitals want to test him over Ukraine. It might be a different story if the Russian military was invading a NATO ally. Um, And I think I would like to think that President Putin, as a rational actor, would not test Western resolve in that regard by sending troops into, say, Poland or Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, you know, former Soviet republics, not Poland, but the Baltic states. Um, But this, I think, you know, could speak to the fact that he is a rational actor. He's taking the one country that he knows would not precipitate the ultimate Western response. Mm, that's a great point. That is a great point. Maybe he's more rational than we thought. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I don't want, I, I can't <laughs> pretend to be in his mind, but um, from no, but that, sitting in the Kremlin, that might be how I think about it. Yeah. It, well, it is rational, actually. It, it's very, I mean, there's a lot of things about what he's doing that are irrational, but it is very rational if, if he knows or is very confident that uh, whoever he's up against is unlikely to do something, then, then of course, you're going to press that advantage and, and take that leverage point. Uh, and so yeah. let's, let's take that and flip that to the United States side in terms of how President Biden is leading in this moment. Uh, and is there anything that the president uh, has done or could do uh, that might change the, the rational thinking of Vladimir Putin in terms of what comes next? So uh, on the plus side, I think what the what the president has done well is really rally um, all of our transatlantic, transatlantic allies around a common cause here. Um, I think it, that's a step in the right direction. And, you know, you, you at least have to put Moscow on notice that there's not going to be any disunity uh, between us and our European allies on how we impose costs and how we respond to Russian aggression. On the flip side, and this isn't President Biden's fault necessarily, I don't think any American president in, in the White House right now would really have a different response, but what what options do we have, right? We either escalate militarily, which I think most American presidents probably would not agree to do in Ukraine, or you impose costs like sanctions and other sort of reputational costs on Russia um, to sort of demonstrate that this type of behavior won't go unpunished. But that doesn't, again, as we've talked about, that doesn't really change the status quo on the ground in Ukraine. It may, it may make the Russians think twice about doing anything truly crazy against the NATO ally, um, but it probably doesn't change what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, and how do you, how do you uh, 
frame in terms of uh, the Oval Office, if you're advising there in terms of uh, where we are and communication strategy, uh, what else should the president be saying? What else should he be stealing the American people for in terms of uh, some of the, the pain that will obviously come as these sanctions roll out and as uh, Russia responds to those? Uh, what's the forward leaning strategy as opposed to the reactionary uh, tactical strategy? No, it's a great question. I mean, I think in terms of messaging to the American people, you have to brace them for the inevitable spike in, in you know, gas and energy costs. And this isn't our fault. I mean, this is the this is the result of Russian aggression. And if I think goes unchecked, right, if, if we sort of just accept the Russian worldview, you can invade your neighbors, you can continue to you know, acquire territory militarily. Well, then, like the NATO alliance doesn't mean anything. We might as well just return to the great game of the 19th century where the great powers just carve up the world. America's role in the world stage is reduced. But that's not the United States that we all know, right? That's not the case to be made for American global leadership. American global leadership means like we we respond to this sort of aggression. We stand up for it, even if it means short-term economic pain at home. Like We will withstand that and, and weather that storm. So I wouldn't capitulate to a dictator like Vladimir Putin um, and let them carve up half of Europe just because, you know, we we don't want to withstand a little bit of a spike in gas prices, which is a real problem. I'm not, sure. I'm not downplaying uh, the significance of, of a spike in gas prices like that's that hits Americans where it hurts. But we've been through that before for any number of international issues. And I wouldn't I wouldn't sort of lay down for Vladimir Putin um, when we haven't for you know other yeah. issues that are crises that have transport um, yeah. that have unfolded on the international stage. Yeah. And the final question for you, David, uh, from your unique experience, uh, especially there at the uh, State Department, uh, what's something that we're not talking about or think something that we ought to be looking at that maybe isn't really getting the attention that could play uh, an important uh, role or an important part of what we see rolling forward? Well, I think that if millions of Ukrainian refugees stream over the border into the European Union, you could over time, and I hate to say this, but you could over time see some fraying of the transatlantic bonds um, over what to do in Ukraine. I think, in fact, I'm sure that President Putin is banking on the fact that over time, you will start to see some daylight between Washington and our key European allies on uh, accepting the status quo in Ukraine. Um, and that's, you know, we saw this with the refugees streaming over the border from Syria and Afghanistan, and that changed some of the thinking in Europe as well. So mm-hmm. that's something that, you know, maybe not be reported on as, you know, there are airstrikes and, and Russian troops rolling over the border. But in the coming weeks and months, that could change some of the strategic calculus in capitals like Berlin and Paris. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. David Salvos, the deputy director of the Alliance for Securing Democracy, senior fellow at the German Marshall Fund. Uh, David, thanks so much for joining us. Terrific insight. Uh, a lot to think about as we look at the go forward uh, and what comes next. We're going to go ahead and step aside for a quick commercial break. Uh, what's happening in Ukraine? Uh, could it be good? Could it be a good way to help us refocus here at home on what actually is most important and what things we should forget about? Uh, there's so many things to think and rethink and think again about right here on KSL News Radio. Stay with us. Think again. 
with Lloyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.